Last year for Memorial Day, I told everybody the story of the very first Memorial Day celebration and, uh, and went into it in some detail. I'm not going to do that today other than just to remind us that the very first Memorial Day was after the end of the Civil War and quite spontaneously about 10,000 natives in, uh, in uh, North Carolina got together to celebrate the people who had died there. And they actually uh, built a graveyard for them, and, and it was a, a mixed black and white group that, that really were, if you will, kind of celebrating and honoring the people that had fought that war. Um, so I want to kind of take on from there and tell a little bit more story about Memorial Day. Because one of the things that, that sort of isn't the, the good news about that first one is that it was really a, a union, if you will, celebration, right? And so um, the very following year, the Confederate uh, the people, you know, who fought the other side of that war had their own Memorial Day to celebrate the way they viewed what happened during the Civil War. And I think this is kind of interesting because our country was a little bit down a path here of division, which makes only makes sense, right? It was a war that had two sides, two different ways of thinking what was right. Um, you know, people died on both sides, high, high emotions, high thoughts around it. Well, about five years after that first celebration, Congress got together. And what I think was interesting, in an almost unanimous act, bipartisan and also uh, regardless of what state, northern or southern, they decided we needed to do this in a unified way. That yes, it was right, it was proper to honor the people that had died in that war, but both sides... You know, it wasn't about trying to figure out who was right or who was wrong. It wasn't trying to figure out um, the issues or, or refighting the battles, if only this one had gone differently or that kind of thing. It certainly wasn't about gloating, right? No, quite the contrary. It was about remembering and honoring the people, all of the Americans, that fought for what they believed in. And so that was the bill that went through Congress. That was what was passed. And, and that is the more unified celebration of Memorial Day that we have today, really honoring the people in conflict in America and the people that have served us. And of course, um, in the 60s, it really was expanded to, to really include our remembering of everyone that is important in our life, not just service people, but really the people in our lives who have made a difference, who, who stuck to their convictions, that, that brought love into our lives. And so, so today, beyond the idea of just uh, our service people, whom of course we honor, we're also here to honor, to remember, to recollect the people in our own lives, friends, families who have passed on that are still important to us. And, and we're actually at the end of the service going to do a little bit of a, uh, of a process around that, um, a more formal recognition of the people who have passed on that are important to us. But before we get there, I want to talk about the whole idea of memory. It's like, why is remembering even an important thing? You know, why is it kind of an issue? I think all faiths and, and all uh, places on the planet have a way of memorializing, right? The, the people that have gone for, sometimes it's, an, uh, it, it's remembering the ancestors and Native American tradition. Sometimes it's remembering family members that have gone on or, or as we do, people who've been in, uh, in armed conflict. But what is this idea of memory? And I think what's interesting too in religious science, 
on the surface at least, it almost seems to contradict one of our spiritual principles. One of our spiritual principles in science of mind is what? That our future is not dependent upon what's happened in the past, right? That that, that which has happened to us in the past does not predict what's going to happen. And often we'll, you know, we will say things like, uh, we'll live for now, for gosh sakes, you know, the past is the past. Let's get on with it. You know, your, your childhood is interesting, but let's not dwell on that because if, if we dwell on things that happened to the past that weren't so hot, <laughs> what are we doing? It's like inviting more of it to happen again. So what is this idea of memory? Why is it important? And why would we even celebrate something like Um, an idea of remembering in a science of mind sanctuary. Aha, wait, it's coming. (laughs) But first, since we're going to talk about memory, I managed to find kind of a fun joke that I wanted to share with you. So one couple is visiting another couple for supper, and the two women go into the kitchen for a moment, just leaving the men to talk. Well, now this is a bad idea to begin with, but... Um, we'll put that aside for now. So one of the men says to another, we went to the nicest restaurant last week. Is that right, the other inquires. What was it called? Uh, um, oh, um, oh, wait, I'll remember. Um, no, uh, uh, oh, oh, wait, wait. What's the name of that red flower with the thorns on it? Well, it's a rose, his friend responds. Oh yeah, that's it, he says energetically. So he whirls around and yells out to the kitchen, Hey Rose, what was the name of that restaurant that we went to last week? (laughs) Sharon here is mortified. (laughs) It's like, does it get any better than that, Sharon? (laughs) Okay, so the joke brings up, though, an important part of the way our memories work. And scientists have decided, or classified, if you will, three ways or three types of memory that we have. And, and, and this is the part of our memory we call the long-term memory. They divide it into three categories. So first of all, there is the factual memory. And that was the one that the gentleman was having a little trouble, like the name of your wife, for instance, or the, the restaurant that you went to, your birthday, anniversaries, you know, things like that. The things, the remembering the what's, that is called factual memory. And by and large, believe it or not, we memorize it. It's a, it's a rote kind of thing. And I think we've all experienced it, you know, when we've moved to a new place and we had to change our telephone number and we had to get a new zip code, right? For the first few times, when people say, what's your phone number? It's like, <laughs> or you're writing the, the, the check out to pay a bill or something and you get to the, you remember your, your street number pretty well, right? But you get to the zip code and it's like, <laughs> so that's factual memory. The next one is called procedural memory. And for any parents we have in the room here, this will be really familiar because it's the kind of memory that you're invoking in children when you teach them how to do things like tie their their shoes or brush their teeth. And of course, as adults, we think, well, like, teach someone to brush their teeth? Really? But if you're a parent, you know it's true. You don't just hand them the toothpaste and the toothbrush and say, you know, go forth and, you know, see how it works. You literally, you know, here's how you take the top off and here's how you squeeze it up and here's how you put it on the brush and here's how it goes in your mouth and here's the motion you're supposed to do and don't forget the back ones and on and, and you know, and put the two back on. And, and this is called procedural memory. It's how we learn how to drive a car. It's literally how we learn how to walk, right? 
Because it isn't a fact, it's a process that we have to learn as children as walking. Okay, third kind of memory, and here's where it, in terms of science of mind, I think it starts getting a little interesting. The third kind of memory is called episodic or recollative memory. Think of it as the movie camera that's going on in your head. Now, it's going all the time, but we don't remember everything that ever happened to us. I suppose maybe there are people who remember most of it, but I got to tell you, I go for long periods. You know, if you ask me what happened last week, I can do pretty well, but not all of it. But if you ask me what happened a month ago, it's like, I don't know. I think there was that one birthday party I went to, you know? I kind of vaguely remember Zane's birthday party and then like nothing, nothing pretty much till maybe last week. Well, this is our episodic or our recollative memory. And the movie camera is always, rem- is always recording, but we tend to remember what? Kind of the highlights of our life. We remember that fifth grade birthday party that was so fun. You know, we remember um, maybe our wedding, right? It's like the highlights of our life are there. And in science of mind terms, this is the kind of memory that we find particularly interesting because as as Sharon said at at the beginning of the introduction, she said, if you really want to change your life, you need to change your mind. And so I gotta ask you, what are these episodes that we're replaying in our mind? What, is the, what are the nature of the things that we're recalling? Because what I know is this recalling, this part of our memory, has an interesting capacity either for good or for evil in our lives. So let me give you an example. So um, my partner and I are getting ready to go to Disneyland, very excited, or Disney World, excuse me, Disney World, very excited. And as soon as we got the tickets... It called forth in me one of the happiest memories of my life. One of my, my mom's final trips that I went on with her, she said, oh, can we go to Disney, Disneyland in California? Um, I was there, you know, when it first opened, that was 20 years ago. I, she, in fact, she owned up to this. She said, I know I'm not in the best shape. It's probably going to mean a wheelchair and you pushing me around, but that would be so sweet. And I got to tell you, it was lovely. Everything about it was sweet. It, you know, if you could make a, a, one of those check-off lists, your dream, uh, your dream trip with your mom, you know, where the food's right and everything's on time and, and she's in a good mood the whole time and you're in a good mood the whole time, that is my memory of that and I would not trade it for a million dollars. But you know, the other day we were in a core council meeting and someone mentioned um, they were having trouble with a boss that they were having, just a minor kind of thing. And just the word boss in my head had me replaying a fairly different kind of tape, shall we say. And it was as though 20 years had gone by like that. It was 20 years ago and my boss in Denver at the time had called me into his office with 18 other people and he spent nearly an hour shouting at us. And and I can tell you to this day, the objects that were on his desk, he had one of those signed little commemorative baseball things sitting on, now why would I remember this, right? It brought up intense feelings in me. And that's the other thing about this episodic memory is it's as though we're reliving it again, isn't it? 
whether I'm thinking of the time in Disneyland with my mom or whether I'm thinking of that shameful, uh, the feeling of shame pops into my head even as I'm thinking about it now. Our memory is amazing in its ability to, to fix something so clearly like a, like a bug fixed in amber. Do you know what I mean? And it's there to recall 20 years later, 50 years later, whenever. Okay. Now, here's the rub. Here's the problem. <laughs> here's the issue. If we truly believe that our lives moving forward are based on great detail, what's going on in our head right now, if I'm replaying events from the past and they're not the way that I want to experience my life right now, I got to tell you, I don't want to draw that boss to me again, you know? And, and although the likelihood of, of, of bringing that boss to me is pretty close, I bet I could find another one just like him. Do you know what I mean? We don't want to go there. And so oftentimes people ask me as a science of my minister, so are you telling me then that I need to sort of edit my memories? Are you telling me that like the parts of my life that, that got me to be here are, are, are to be ignored? And I would say no. I would say the factual part of our memory, it's a very useful thing. So I don't even necessarily want to deny that that incident in my life 20 years ago in front of that boss, that that didn't happen. What I do want to do, though, is not keep playing that tape in my head that brings up the feelings of shame and not good enough and not helpful enough, because that's going to keep me stuck. It's like the facts of it, fine, but I refuse to play that tape anymore because I'm at choice. When my mind starts whirling off, you know, right, cycling around, if it's a good thing, I can choose to, to be there with my mom. I can choose to relive that and, and have that memory of, of just love and having people close to me and the, the joy that we experienced on that day. And when that memory of my boss comes up and I start feeling red myself, feeling not good enough and shameful, I can say no. I can say, I'm sorry, but this is not worthy of cycling around in this God-given creative mind. I can say no. And so this is my, my gift to you today around this thing that we called Memorial or Memorial Day. We get to choose what our memories are. If we're really interested in changing aspects of our life, into something new, into something more beautiful, into something more positive, into something more loving, into something more abundant, then those are the, the thoughts that I choose to have in my mind. And since I have the ability to bring forth memories pretty much at will, not always, sometimes they pop in my head, but other times I can choose them, I'm going to choose the good ones. And when a bad one pops up, when something that isn't really useful in my life pops up, I'm going to just recognize it, bless it, say, bless you for that, and off you go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like we can pick. We can choose the effect that our past has on our present and on our future. So I'm going to close today with our little bit of ritual, our little bit of remembering exercise. And the title of the talk today is Recalling the Best.
And so I want you, for right now, just to close your eyes for just a moment and think of maybe who's someone who's no longer in your life, someone who has made their transition into whatever comes next from this earthly life. And I want you to think in your own mind of perhaps the best interaction that you had with that person. Um, On that particular day, you were at your best, and they were at their best, and you were having a lovely time. Just think about that. And then to anchor that, I'm going to put the microphone down here where people can get to it. And I'm going to invite people just to speak the name of the person that they're remembering and then come over here and light a candle in honor of that person. And, and uh, Ken and Linda are going to do just a bit of a little chant in the background. Now, you might ask why we're doing this as well. And uh, uh, back to science for just, just a moment. Scientists have shown that if we really want to recall something more easily, the way we can anchor a good memory that we want to have access to requires a couple things. It needs a context around it. And what they will tell you is the act of, uh, of doing something and the act of speaking something as we're having that memory makes it up to 120% easier to recall. There's an act, they've, they've done science studies around this. And so what I want is I want that precious moment that you just thought about to be so easy to recall next time. I want us to build our future around good memories, memories of love, memories around people and places and events that are meaningful to us. And so I'll start out, and we can form a little line here. You'll just speak the name in the microphone and then light the, light the candles, and, and, and we can keep kind of a, a good flow going here. So I light this candle for my mother-in-law, Peggy Hutchison.
Hamilton. I like this candle from my uncle, Howard Hess. I light this candle for my friend Heidi Anderson. I light this candle for my dear sweet friends, Sue, Lisa, and my mom, Barbara. I light this candle for my cousin, Nikki Lewis. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called life. Life is eternal. And what I know about this life, what I know about the eternality of God is that it's based in love. It's absolutely always based in love. And so the memories that we have on this day also are based based on God, based on love, based on those people who have come before us. And I recognize this as a fundamental principle of God, as God remembers us, as God is that biggest container of memory, truly, for all that has happened. And even as God never forgets, I know that there is that in me which always remembers 
the good times, the sweet moments, the lovely friends, the, the loving family. I know there is a part in me that keeps these memories alive, always full of love and full of joy. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has the power of remembering the good. That each person here may, may choose their memories as they wish, just letting go of things that no longer serve them, just letting them peacefully fade away, even as they remember this inherent goodness in the people that we love the sweetness and the events and the past that have brought us here in a nurturing and loving way. And so for each person in this room, I simply know the good, the life-affirming beauty and love that is God, that is this memory of our beloved. And so it is with great love that I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law. It is with great love that I recognize it becomes ever easier to remember the good moments. It is with love that I simply say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here today.